0: Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the Kremlin Cup or watching the European final along the way. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. Uh, we can get into my weekly pick probably easy to tell. Um, we can also get into the supply chain crisis that's currently happening and how much of a dire issue it is uh, for this country. We can get into Alec Baldwin killing a cinemat- cinematographer using a gun with actual bullets. We can discuss Donald Trump uh, launching a new social media app called the Truth and we can get into Dave Chappelle's protest on Wednesday that we're not good for comedy whatsoever. But let's get into obviously the biggest news story in terms of the in terms of the tennis world, the European Open final between Diego Schwartzman and John Center. So if you guys didn't watch, I actually had a podcast clip on it on my podcast clips channel that you can watch. Uh, link will be in the description box below, or you can just go through my podcast clips channel. It's going to be the first search result. And, uh, yeah, you can watch her right there. I actually gave my thoughts and analysis on it as soon as possible on Sunday, as soon as the match was over. So I just gave a little bit of a four-minute, five-minute video on it. You can always check it out if you if you haven't already. But I'll be recapping it today as well. So if you guys don't know, John Center beat Diego Schwartzman in straight sets. 6-2, 6-2. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a background as to what allowed Diego Schwartzman to get to the final, he had wins over Brooksby, Nakashima, and Andy Murray. With... Uh, I hope I said Diego Schwartzman with that. Uh, John X-Center, he had wins over Lloyd Harris, Rinder, Rinderknecht, and Lorenzo Musetti. So that's sort of how both of these players were able to go to the final and progress to the final with wins, with high-caliber wins against those opponents. Uh center won, as I've said before, with first serves and great baseline play. You know, just recapping uh, this one by one. Uh, John Isner center was the first to break in the set due to great baseline play to make a 2-1 uh, center 3-1 30 love. There was a great winner by Johnic Center as he was able to hit a forehand at a touch for Diego Schwartzman, and that was sort of the runaway theme, and that was sort of the essentially theme of the entire match for G, for Johnic Center was being able to have great forehands and backhands that Diego Schwartzman was just not able to really counteract with. You know, jo- Johnny Center really dictated the pace of the ball and really got Diego Schwartzman's feet moving, and to the point where Diego Schwartzman was confused as to whether or not. Uh, John Center could be able to hit winners from the baseline out, and as we can tell from the result of the match, John Center was able to do that pretty decidedly so. And one of my favorite serve, one of my favorite points that John Center won uh, in this set and just in this match in general was a return serve winner that allowed John Center to break yet again to make it four one. And you know, obviously, it was a pretty competitive match for the first two games of the first set but as soon as John Xander broke Diego Schwartzman, it was over. It was over. It was over. It was over because when John is on, he's on. And once he gets that momentum going under his side, it's hard to beat him. And Diego Schwartzman is notorious for essentially starting slow. And if he is able to start fast or if he's able to get in the right motion and really carry that, uh, then he's pretty good. In fact, he's one of the, be- he's one of the best within his uh, age range. But again, once he started off slow, it- it's basically night-night for Diego Schwartzman. And Johnny Sinner was able to prove that uh, with that return serve for a winner. You know, the way that Sinner, and again, going back to that first set, the way that Sinner was able to get out of that hole 4-1 uh, to get the hold to make a 5-1. It was amazing. It was great. I, I thought that really showed the will to win and the desire to win for John K. Center. And that wasn't really there for Diego Schwartzman in this match. And, you know, when you see that entire ma- uh, first set, D- John K. Center won 87% or had an 87% on first serve wins. So he won 87% of the time on first serves. And for the entire match, 91. I mean, that is insane. That is critical. Being able to dictate your own shot on serve, I I think it's the most misunderstood way of winning the sport of tennis. I I really do. And I think you see it with Kyrgios, you see it with Opelka, you see it with Andy Murray. You know, you see individuals that really value the importance of tossing up that ball in the air and being able to dictate their own shots with the serve. And I think we're going to have a return to that sooner rather than later because it's just so instrumental for any person's success, being able to su- succeed from, this, from the ball toss out. And, you know, when you see, again, like 91% percentage win percentage on first serve for John X center I mean, how can you really beat that? You know, and again, he had eight aces. Now, in, in like a best out of three, um, best out of five, eight aces is nothing. But best out of three it means a lot. And the fact that he was able to get 91 percentage win percentage on first serve, that just shows to you the importance of being able to have first serves and being able to dictate first serves whenever you can possibly do it. You know, so 91%, that was amazing. Um Even though Diego Schwarzman had a better first serve percentage overall, uh, the win percentage for for short uh, for a center was way more than that of Schwartzman. Again, Schwartzman only had forty-eight percentage of forty-eight percent win percentage on first serve compared to ninety-one, and for first serve percentage in general, I mean, Diego Schwartzman had more uh, percentage getting in the ball, getting in the court than say Sinner, fifty-five to fifty-two. But again, it's not about whether or not you can get the ball in the court; it's about how willing you are to allow that ball to to sort of pass and conquer that of your opponent. That's way more important for your first serve. It, it doesn't matter about wh- how many serves you get in. What matters is the amount of pace and the amount of tempo and the and the amount of of speed that you're able to generate from your serve to get a winner or or to get an ace essentially. That's what separates great servers from the not so great servers is their ability to conquer both sides of that serve being able to get an end but also value the importance of making it as a winner and that's what John X. center did against uh, Diego Schwartzman when he came to serving now when he came to that second set John X. center was able to get the break early to make it one love there was a great return serve as Schwartzman wasn't able to return it to make a 30-40 1-3 center a uh, great winner by Johnny center as it ends long rally with a backhand that just clips the net uh, he did get some lucky breaks as well, I would say for John X Center doesn't mean that he would have lost. I'm just saying that he did get some breaks and you know, making having a shot that just clips the net and over onto your opponent's side, that definitely is one of those uh, instances where uh, that does sort of make it lucky uh, by default. Even though Schwartzman was able to hold to make it 2 five, it was basically night night for Schwartzman afterwards. Uh, Schwartzman and Center really had a good final game, but overall it did go to center as he he was just as he was just the better person in the match i mean let's be honest here was the better person uh he understood uh the role for today's match just being able to uh better center in all fronts and accords and again the reason as to why john Center won quite quite simple it's first serves and great baseline play with also a focus on unforced errors by Schwartzman as well. Because Schwartzman did have several unforced errors, especially in the earlier parts of that first set and latter half of the second set as well. Uh, those were the main reasons as to what allowed John X Center to beat Diego Schwartzman and to essentially get to the point where he can now make a competitive showing at these other tournaments later in the year as well whether it's the Paris Rolex Masters or the upcoming upcoming tournament that's this week as well, the ATP 500 tournament. Uh, this is an ATP 250, I think. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what Sinner will do for the next year or so because I do think that he's going to win a major sooner than later. I really do. I think John X. Sinner will reach multiple majors and will have multiple majors under his belt because he's still 20 years old. He's still 20 years of age. So he's still learning, still progressing and he's still going through the motions of the ATP schedule and the grind of the ATP schedule. So I'm excited to see what's next for John X. Center as well as Diego Schwartzman. I know I'm hyping up Sinner a lot and not so much Schwartzman, but I'm also excited to see what Schwartzman is able to do as well. I think only good things can happen to Schwartzman. You know, He can only learn and improve from here on out. So I'm excited to see what both Schwartzman and Sinner are able to do and what they're able to accomplish. And overall, I think this was a match that really shows what tennis can be in the long run and in five ten years as well i think center schwartzman you are want to see these matches happen more often than not um maybe not between these two players but between these two types of players these two skill sets of players i think you'll see, you'll see that a lot more often especially in the indoor court season that we're currently in uh in the month september october november so Excited to see what's going to happen. Uh, and more importantly, congrats to Center on the win. Again, I released a podcast clip on it yesterday, so go check it out if you haven't. Uh, it's in the description box below, I think. It might be, it might not be, who knows. Uh, but go check it out, it's on my podcast clips channel. And also congrats to Aslan Karatsev for winning the Moscow Open, for winning the Kremlin Cup. Uh, I know he won against Marin Cilic, so congrats to Karatsev on the win. I just thought this was the more interesting match between the two. had comparable styles or comparable rankings between these two individuals, so I thought, why not cover this more so than, say, Karatsev, uh, Chilich. But I was able to watch some of the Crown Cup as well. Uh, I thought Karatsev really did well against Chilich. But uh, yeah, go check. uh, Interested to see what's going to happen for uh, both Sinner and Schwarzman. And for Karatsev and Cherlich as well, why not? Why not throw them in as well? Uh for the next week or so. And not not even the next week, but just for the next few months as well. Before we start the twenty two twenty-two season, because I do think that they can only keep up their progression. And you're gonna see a much much more competitive, much more healthier Schwartzman in the next tournament that he's in, and a much more refined and understanding Schwartzman in terms of understanding where his shot selection and where his opponent's shot selections will be uh in the future tournaments as well so yeah that's just, that's just overall my opinion on all that uh hopefully we're able to get better matches uh, under our belt uh in the next coming weeks up and coming weeks so yeah um i've been i've been wa- watching tennis but I also have been doing comedy so um If you're in the Boston area, I know this is a little bit uh, uh, of self-promotion here, but bear with me here. Uh, If you're in the Boston area, I'm going to be at uh, the Model Cafe in Alston uh, Wednesday. So go check me out uh, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Alston Model Cafe. Go check me out. Um, Yeah, just want to say that, put that out there on Wednesday. I know that you're going to be hearing this on a Tuesday. I'm filming this on a Monday. So go check me out uh, at the Model Cafe on Wednesday. Uh, we'll be working on a new four minutes or one not So um, go check me out. I, I think that's a great place where you should eat and drink. And and, and I don't drink, but if you drink, then that's up to you. Uh, you know that's it's it's a great place. It's a great, great staff, great comics. I'm not only, I'm not the only one that's going to be performing there. So go check the Model Cafe out. Uh, I highly suggest you do. So, yeah, that's just my little bit of a self-promotion at the end of that. Uh, hopefully, you guys uh, enjoy um, enjoy uh, the the show if you happen to be in the area and if you happen to be watching this. So, yeah, go check me out on Wednesday, uh, 7 p.m. at the Model Cafe in Austin. So, all right, so let's transition, uh, no pun intended, uh, to the next topic. Dave Chappelle uh, has been getting protested by trans people by netflix employees on wednesday uh what occurred uh was essentially a bunch of privileged individuals finding out that a person said not so kind words or not so kind jokes at their own expense this is from variety hundreds of netflix employees and supporters gathered in the shadow of the streaming giants Los Angeles headquarters on Wednesday to protest Dave Chappelle's stand-up special The Closer, but the event, which was intended to showcase solidarity with the trans community, grew tense at certain points as protesters clashed with a vocal crowd of the comedians' fans. Netflix has been embroiled in controversy since the comedy special debuted on October 5th, with employees and artists openly criticizing Chappelle for comments and jokes they deemed transphobic and homophobic. The Netflix office complex of stone's throw from the closed ArcLight Hollywood cinemas, saw dozens of passionate transporters waving signs, reading Trans Lives Matter, and transphobia is not a joke. Uh, and then it would continue on. But that's just the main takeaway as to what happened. Dozens of protesters were there. Uh, there was people that were in support of Dave Chappelle that were also there that were saying, like, we like jokes. Chappelle is funny. And the exchange between these two uh, two groups of people were just like, I felt like I was losing brain cells while watching it. I really did. Um, There was one point in the protest where a guy had a joke, said jokes are funny. Some trans protester ripped it up and he had the wooden stick with him. So he handed him the wooden stick back while the protester was shouting, he's got a weapon. It's like, what is happening? Like, how in the world do you have this much time to protest over a comedy special that, in my opinion, was okay? It wasn't that great. It wasn't that bad. It was sim- simply okay. So why are you protesting Chappelle for trans jokes? It's, it's dumb. I, I understand if you're going after a, a comedian for making amazing trans jokes, like out-of-the-wall trans jokes, like because at the end of the day, it, it's a good joke. But for Chappelle's trans jokes, it was okay. I'm going to be honest with you. There are certain jokes of his that were funny. I mean, I thought the story about Daphne was incredibly uh, heartwarming. I thought the story, uh, not the story, but the joke of calling trans pussy beyond pussy, impossible pussy was amazing as well. There are certain times within his special that were funny, but overall, it was sort of middle of the road. It It wasn't that great. It wasn't that bad. It was sort of middle of the road. It was sort of like any other... Uh, Chappelle special, besides sort of sticks and stones, and uh, for what it's worth, killing him softly. I thought it was okay, but to see these protesters sort of view comedy as if it's real life or as if it's as if it has real world implications of to it, it's just so dumb. At the end of the day, you have to view comedy as any other form of entertainment, right? Would you take Star Wars seriously? Would you take I don't know films that you know may be subversive or or edgy do you take those films seriously no then why are you taking a comedy special seriously do you take a book seriously do you think 50 shades of gray the things that are happening in that book are actually happening in like real world or whatnot no so why are you like taking it so seriously understand that this is a comedy special right the point of a comedian is to make fun of things right the whole purpose of having comedy special is to entertain you Right. I mean, obviously, there are comedians that will say certain things, and that's up to you as to whether or not you want to take it. Uh, if you want to believe in what they want to say. But overall, the entire purpose of comedy is to make you laugh and enjoy things and it make you look at the absurdity of everything. And if we're not able to do that, if we're not able to make poke fun at our own selves, then what's the purpose of living? So I think the Chappelle protests are extremely wrong. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's good for comedy. I truly don't i mean maybe last week i would have said hey it's good for comedy you know lenny bruce had to go through this george carlin had to fight the fcc but i don't think it's good for comedy because if the biggest comedian in the entire world is being protested for jokes that that are rather banal then what does that say about other comedians that aren't up to his caliber or don't have the popularity that uh chapelle has what does that say about comedians that are trying to get their own netflix deals and and their own you know deals with networks what what does that say about their art you know what does that say about how, what they can and cannot say in their art and what you know notes the producers of these networks will give them in terms of tr- in terms of jokes that are dark and, and black and whatnot i mean what does that say about comedy in general if the biggest comedian in the world is being canceled i don't think it does anybody any good so in my opinion i think for a lot of younger comedians like myself I think what's important is to just put yourself out there whether it's Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube whatever it is just put yourself out there because at the end of the day none of these networks or corporations will ever support you like they're supporting Chappelle. Right? Chappelle makes these corporations money. They it brings attention and and uh essentially dollars to their bank account so obviously they'll defend Chappelle, but they won't defend a younger comedian or an inexperienced comedian that is telling jokes at trans people's expense because at the end of the day they don't bring as much cachet whether it's cultural cachet or 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 financial cachet that Chappelle does for netflix so i think my advice for any comedian is just to put yourself out there you know put out your jokes out there i know it's very vulnerable to put it out there i know Um, It may not be up to the same quality in terms of the uh, audio quality or video quality of that of like a Netflix special or whatnot, but at the end of the day, um, none of these corporations will take risks for your art, and you got to understand that what matters is being able to just say what you want and understand that nobody else can say it for you. So that's sort of my opinion on all this. Hopefully, this dies down. I think it already has died down, but it's it's bad it it, this nothing good happens out of this because again this is part of where comedy where bad comedy comes from you know if the best of the best comedians are being protested and and are are taking a hit then this just brings in the 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 hacks this just brings in the Andy Kaufman's and all those other comedians that are sort of anti-comedy or or sort of break the fourth wall and get meta with it, which I'm not in support of. I I value jokes. I value punchlines. I value the importance of telling a story with good pauses and good inflections and good transitions. And uh, Dave Chappelle uh, is a living testament to that. So overall, I thought the protests were horrible and I don't think they were good for comedy, but I still stand by some of the jokes that Dave Chappelle had in a special because I thought they were funny and I thought they were enjoyable and entertaining. So go check it out. Uh, Dave Chappelle's closer. Honestly, this just helps out. Oh, Netflix! It really does. I mean, all of this just helps out Netflix. So, go check him out. Go check. out Dave Chappelle, and uh, screw the protesters. Honestly, there are so many more important things to protest about than a comedy special, right? I mean, we have a supply chain crisis. We we have uh, employees, a unions fighting over a vaccine mandate, which I think is important. Uh, we have so many more issues that we're trying to fight over. And trying to get over, and the and this is not an issue, honestly. A, a comedy special should not be protested. I'm sorry. So, go check out Dave Chappelle's The Closer. Uh, if you want to check out a, a comedy special that uh is okay but uh does not deserve to get protested, it's 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 not. Sorry, yeah, uh, that's just my overall opinion on all of that. Uh, yeah, I, I honestly. Yeah, um, let, let me just end it right there. Uh, I don't want to get any more. Uh, I don't want to get the protesters upset more than they ever have to. So, but what I did find funny about the protesters were that most of them weren't even employees, and even the people who did attend from the net from uh, who did attend the protest that were working at Netflix, they went at the end of their workday, so they they didn't even value the protest because they really valued the protest. They would not be spending the entire bulk of their day working they would not be spending their entire day working they would be spending their day marching the streets for trans people so that sort of shows you that the people that are working at netflix don't even value this protest at all (laughs) like like i'm sorry like i think the tide is turning for pc culture or cancel culture whatever it is whatever you want to call it the tide is turning for these overly progressive individuals that wanna cancel people for what they say or what they do, or more, more importantly, what they say. Uh, and I think the tide is turning so much so where people are now like, I see individuals that aren't even like pro like Chappelle now supporting Chappelle, which I th- never thought would happen. So I think the tide is turning. I think the the days of, of having of just winging it, up, winging it upstage or winging it up on the comedy stage. I think those days are over. Hopefully, they are. Fingers crossed. Um, but overall, I, I'm yeah, it's yeah, it's dumb. I feel like if you're a trans person, you got to be looking at this protest and be like, what did we go wrong? Like, what happened? Right. All we wanted to do was just transition. All we wanted to do was change genders. What is happening here? what why is this happening since when did we become so sensitive that we're getting mad over a comedy special right if i'm a trans person those are the questions that i'll be asking myself now until the foreseeable future honestly like i truly believe i think that a lot of trans people are not in favor of the protest whatsoever because it just proves that like if you want a true equality then you got to deal with all equality. it's not only just being able to get treatment but also the same jokes as other racial groups and ethnic groups I mean how many times do comedians go up there with an Indian accent you know I mean and that's fine I'm completely fine with a comedian using Indian accent as long as it's funny so that's what matters to me is just if you want if people want equality then you have to understand that equality means also being able to take a joke if you don't want to be take, be if you don't want to be the punchline of a joke, or if you don't want to be included in a joke, then that just proves that you want to get preferential treatment. And I I don't think trans people want preferential treatment. They just want equality. They just want to be treated the same as everybody else. So I I think it's just bad for comedy if the biggest comedian in the world is being protested because then it creates a slippery slope where now other comedians can't joke about the same topics. Or have this or have the same world view as say Chappelle or other comedians that have proven themselves to be some of the best to ever do it so it's that's just my overall opinion on all of that uh, I'm, yeah i'm a little bit uh, behind time so let's just uh get into the next topic with donald trump uh so if you guys don't know donald trump launched a social media app named the truth so this is from his press release uh trump media and technology group tmtj uh, not to be com- confused with MTG, uh, will soon be launching a social network named Truth Social. Truth Social is now available for pre-order in the Apple App Store. Oh, it costs money! Damn. Uh, Truth Social plans uh, that just proves how much of a grifter uh, Donald Trump is, man. Uh, Truth Social plans to begin its beta launch for inv- for invited guests in November 2021. A nationwide rollout is expected in the first quarter of 2022. Those who are interested in joining Truth. Social may now visit truthsocial.com to sign up for the invite list. So it says President Donald J. Yeah. Trump. Uh, the chairman of TMTG uh, stated, "I created Truth Social and TMTG to stand up to the tyranny of big tech. We live in a world where the Taliban have a huge presence on Twitter. Yet your favorite American president has been silence. This is unacceptable. I am a, I'm expected to send in my first truth, uh, truth on Truth Social very soon." TMTG was founded... Oh, okay, now I'm sounding like a Frenchman. TMG- TG was founded with a mission to give a voice to all. I'm excited to soon begin sharing my thoughts on Truth Social and to fight back against big tech. Everyone says... Everyone asks me, Why Why doesn't someone stand at a big tech? It's a very big thing. Oh, sorry, it's bad. My Trump impression is bad. I'm sorry. Well, we will well, we will be soon, I guess. Okay. And then just goes on and on about like... The premise of the TMTG and uh, the people behind it and whatnot. Overall, this is just another grift for Donald Trump. It's kind of sad that he's doing this, honestly. It, it really is. Uh, mainly because it's Donald Trump. Like, he's if you guys don't know this by now he is a grifter he is a person that will essentially do things for his own benefit for his own pocket without without any with no remorse for any of his fans or followers i mean as soon as the january 6th thing happened he denounced it entirely like he organized it and then as soon as like there were signs of trouble he's like no 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 don't do it don't do it i we denounce and and renounce all these people that attended and it's like don't I mean, stand up for your fans, stand up for your followers. I mean, these are the people that are ride ride or die for you. Some of these people had to go to jail for you, and you're going to cut them off? I mean, if this doesn't show that Donald Trump is a big-ass grifter, and I hate to use that word lightly, but in this case, it is. Because when you see the America First Policy Institute, when you see the people behind the America First Policy Institute and their overall connections with those, with individuals that are within essentially, the big banks and whatnot, then you'll then you'll realize that all of this is just a grift and none of this makes sense. And more importantly, that Donald Trump will do anything in his power to es- es- essentially extract money from his fans. And when you see the Stop the Steal movement, when you see Donald Trump, you know, essentially uh, finding ways to, to sort of grift into getting people to pay money and to donate money into his false movement that has no, you know, claims whatsoever. I mean, I'm sure, like, every election has been stolen, but if you really go down to the nitty-gritty of it, it's, when you look at the finer details of it, it's like, okay, you lost, I'm sorry, you lost, it's, you gotta deal with the repercussions of it, and I think Donald Trump right now, at the end of the day, Donald Trump is a grifter, and he did everything in his power to help out Saudi Arabia and Israel that's what he did for four years you you had one of the biggest supporters of israel and for the military industrial complex that i've ever seen like honestly like if you guys don't understand the importance that israel has in terms of our foreign policy go read up on it it's i don't think we we make our decisions alone we make it with outside interference with outside connections with outside people with countries outside of our comfort zone or countries that are connected with us essentially And that's israel i mean that's israel and saudi arabia so i mean listen donald trump for four years acted like he was this populist acted like he was a man of the people but as soon as he got into office the first thing he passed was the tax cuts bill and then what we realized was that he was essentially your standard conventional republican he was Mitt romney but with better tweets that's all donald trump was during his four years in office and to see the amount of people sort of fall for his ideology or fall for what he did i mean it it was basically barack obama in 2008 i mean barack obama acted like he was this outside of the box you know this non-conventional like individual that you know valued the importance of the working class individual and then as soon as he got into office he bailed out wall street so what really show what this really shows is that all politicians first off they're gay all politicians are gay and voting in and of itself is a gay w- thing. I mean, voting is so gay. I mean, the idea, the notion that any of these people, any of these people can somehow substantially change your life is blasphemous and it should be ended as soon as possible. That theory, that notion that any of these people in office will somehow change your life in a, in a marginal way is is, is blasphemy. And the only way that you're able to succeed in America, and this is my advice for anybody, the only way that you'll that you'll be able to succeed or do well or retire in America is either by having a good support system or being financially independently wealthy. Those are the only those are your only two options as to how you can succeed in America and retire and do well in America, by having a good support system and by having uh, by having a financially independently wealthy sort of way of living essentially that's how you're going to succeed in this world and the idea that any politician will somehow change your life or give you health care i mean i saw aoc tweet out like I, I don't know like something about like progressivism or like something about like identity politics or the culture war and i'm like okay yeah we're never getting health care we're never going to get health care we're never going to get any pu- public good or service that comes through the government it's it's dumb like it like the idea that the this government is somehow beneficial for us with our own tax dollars with our own tax dollars it's it's dumb and it's been proven with the lockdowns it's been proven with our foreign policy and donald trump was just a caricature or just another spoke on the wheel of politicians that say that they're going to help out the middle class that say they're going to you know create trade agreements or 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 sort of focus on protectionist causes and focus on healthcare and whatnot and focus on a non-interventionist foreign policy but at the end of the day they just follow the similar neoliberal outlet that every other president before him followed or before that individual followed i mean come on like let's be honest here at the end of the day nothing's going to change in this world (laughs) nothing And, and to think otherwise i think you're living in la la land so Honestly, I, I think this is just shows that Trump is a grifter, and honestly, I expect nothing less of him. Like, honestly, like, this is a person that uh, basically denounced uh, January 6th as soon as possible and didn't even help out his supporters, like, at all. I mean, this is a person that, uh, as soon as, um, I mean, as soon as all of those other small mini rallies happened, uh, where there was some inkling of violence, he was like, you know what, whatever, it's their business, whatever it's honestly like donald trump proves that you can say anything you want you can do things outside of talking like a politician but at the end of the day as a politician you gotta lie and that's what donald trump did for four years he essentially let the chamber of commerce and goldman sachs run his campaign not run his campaign but run his uh four years in office he let John Bolton and uh, inept individuals to run his foreign policy. And he essentially was a mascot for Israel for four years. And if you, and when people say they miss Donald Trump, it's like, yeah, I miss his tweets. You know, I miss his tweets. I mean, it felt like Santa Claus delivering presents under the Christmas tree whenever he tweeted. But overall, it's like you really want another four years of, of culture war. You really want another four years of helping out Israel, a country that seems to be doing pretty well. A country that actually focuses on and actually takes taxpayer money from us to help out their iron dome and help out uh their own infrastructure you really want another four years of of a president that's more gung-ho about helping out israel and helping out them in the middle east and 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 having a smile underneath just as many drone strikes and, and more immigration's happening i mean do you really want that to happen under donald trump another four years donald trump a person who says he hates immigrants but let in more immigrants than barack obama under his first year in office or under his like, like, yeah, essentially had more people immigrate to this country in his first year of office than Donald Trump had in his first term. So it's, I don't know. Do you really want another four years of that? It's, it makes no sense. I'm not, I'm not, fan, I'm no fan of Joe Biden. I want to be honest with you. I'm no fan of Joe Biden whatsoever, but honestly, like um, I would much rather have like not care about politics than, constantly care about politics each and every time and it felt like when donald trump was in office it felt like each and every day it felt like something new was going to happen and for some people they may have made they may have liked it but for me i'm like i just don't want to talk about politics you know like i would much rather talk about tennis i'm much rather talk about things outside of the po- political realm than say politics and donald trump and whatnot so maybe for your average joe schmo they could watch something on fox news or cnn and and talk about it and like sort of have their 15 minutes of like discussing it with their colleagues and whatnot but overall i'm, I'm done with it. i don't honestly i don't want donald trump to run 2024 i i don't want to i don't want to see him run in 2024 it's because i don't want another four years man i don't want another four years of, of this pseudo populist acting like he's for the people and then do everything in his power to not act like he's for the people because we already went through Barack Obama, we already went through Bill Clinton, we already went through all of these presidents that say they're going to change up the system, and then they are, are, are in fact a part of the system. And I don't want to, I don't want to see it again with Donald Trump. I honestly don't. So yeah, uh, and honestly, honestly, I do think the RNC will sort of put their foot to the fire when it comes to uh, when it comes to this. Honestly, uh, I I do believe that. I, I think the RNC will put a stop to Donald Trump running some way, shape, or form, they'll stop him. No, they're not going to run, they're not going to let Donald Trump run again. Uh, I truly believe that. And it's pretty evident with his absence on social media, so yeah, uh, overall, that's just my overall thoughts on all that. He'll um, through and through. Okay, let's get into Alec Baldwin killing a cinematographer. Uh, so if you guys don't know, Alec Baldwin killed uh, a cinematographer on a movie that he's working on. It's called Rust. It's on the video game, the uh, mobile computer uh, video game, uh, and he killed the cinematographer using gun using using a prop gun that had actual bullets in it, and um, yeah, it's a sad situation. Honestly, like uh, I'm I'm reading this from CNN. A distraught Alec Baldwin repeatedly asked why he was given a hot gun after his prop weapon discharged on his New Mexico film set Thursday, accidentally killing a cinematographer and injuring the director. Witnesses have claimed. The tragic accident unfolded while Baldwin was filming his upcoming Western film *Rust* at Bonanza Creek Ranch in Santa Fe. Cinematographer Helena Hutchins died, and director Joel Souza, 48, was injured after they were both struck when the gun discharged. The Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office said immediately after the incident, an eyewitness told Hollywood Gossip site Showbiz 411 that Baldwin stated asking how he could have been given a hot gun, meaning a firearm, loaded with real ammunition. Uh, Yeah, it's a sad situation through and through. Um, Honestly, rest in peace, Helena Hutchins. It's a very sad thing to see. Uh, I know it's easy to blame Alec Baldwin. You know, I saw a lot of conservatives blaming Alec Baldwin, and I know I understand why they did it. But uh, if anything, blame the props department and the crew behind the camera for loading a gun in a movie set. (laughs) <laughs> that's it. I mean, that, why would you load a gun in a movie set? Why? What did you think was going to happen? Now, obviously, Alec Baldwin should not be shooting or aiming at people with a gun. You know, first off, he shouldn't be putting his his uh, finger on the trigger. I mean, that's a no-no in gun circles. Do not put your finger on the trigger unless you're trying to shoot at a target that you know is not a human or an animal. Why? Why are you shooting things? Why are you putting your your uh, first index finger or your first finger on the trigger why why never do that it's dumb like only bad things will happen i mean that's learning that's learning about guns 101 that's gun learning 101 when you go to a gun range you are instructed not to put your first finger on the trigger and to not point at anybody with a gun right? The only time you should point at somebody or point at somebody with a gun is if they're like an intruder or they're like, I don't know, like stealing your sub or something or stealing your sandwich. I feel like if somebody like steals your sandwich, you can like, if, some, if you're in a workplace environment and somebody steals your sandwich, best believe you should shoot them. Like, honestly, like I don't, I'm not supporting violence, but if somebody steals your sandwich, shoot them. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, shoot them. Okay. Maybe that's a little too far. But I still stand by with the sandwich thing. Uh, you know, honestly, like, uh, they should, honestly, like, it's weird to see the way SNL handle, handled this because I don't think they made any jokes about it, which I understand why. But it would have been so funny if, let's say in the cold open, they had Donald Trump just walk in and, and just look at a gun and say, wow, that gun looks like a prop wow it's it's so great it's i mean has anybody shot with this like if if snl had donald trump just allude to the fact that alec baldwin shot somebody didn't even mention alec baldwin but just had donald trump just like come in the frame and say like wow this is a very nice gun like what is it with it it would be all amazing just just have donald trump allude to it and it would be like It would be one of the funniest moments of SNL in the past 10, 15 years, honestly. It would have been that funny. Um, So yeah, I mean, overall, that's just my overall opinion on uh, uh, Alec Baldwin. I almost call it Alec Baldwin, Donald Trump. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's just my opinion on on, uh, Alec Baldwin. I think this person is a... I don't think he should be going to jail. I know it's like involuntary manslaughter. That's what the kids on the street are saying. So I'll sort of take that and, and sort of take it uh so yeah it's i I don't know i don't think alec baldwin should be in trouble for this you know it wasn't his fault it's it's not like he loaded the gun it's not like he's the individual that put in the bullets for the gun yes he should not be waving it around and pointing people with a gun why are you pointing people at a gun like why are you pointing people with a gun it's just so dumb like just think about it think about how dumb that is to to point things with a gun at unless if it's an intruder or if unless it's a person that you know brutally like destroyed your family or is stealing things from your home it makes no sense to like point things with a gun like what are you thinking alec baldwin um but yeah it's that whole family is so weird i mean wasn't hilaria baldwin the person that spoke with a, a spanish accent If if I'm not mistaken, mistaken, and then she got caught and she said she's from Boston. It's 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 and she named her children Spanish names. So it's it's a weird thing to see that entire family is is cuckoo. I, I know like SNL makes fun of Trump, but he can easily make fun of Alec Baldwin as well. Easily. In fact, there's more info and more dirt under Alec Baldwin than under Donald Trump. Honestly, I want to see the roast of Alec Baldwin again. I want to see a part two of the roast of Alec Boland. And I want to have it with Jesselnik because Nick has been doing roast since the beginning of time. I want to see Nick I think Big Jay Oakerson would be great for the roast of Alec Boland. Shane Gillis, maybe if Comedy Central is up for it. I don't know if Comedy Central is still a thing anymore, but if Shane Gillis got higher for the roast of Alec Boland, I would not be mad at that whatsoever. So Big Jay Jessel Jesselnik, Shane Gillis... uh Maybe Louis J. Gomez as well. Uh, Tony Hinchcliffe. Honestly, like, that's a pretty stellar lineup. And then, obviously, I have some celebrities as well. Maybe Bob Saget. That that sort of dynamic would be amazing. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like, having Bob Saget make jokes about Alec Baldwin's, like, murder would be hilarious. Just to see. Just to witness. But, yeah. Uh, that's just my overall opinion on Alec Baldwin. Killing the cinematographer and um, using a gun with actual bullets. It's it's not good. It's not good. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. That's about it. All right. Let's get into my next topic: the supply chain crisis. So, if you guys don't know, there's been issues with the supply chains. People, uh, products and items are currently being delayed, inflated, or not being shipped out whatsoever, and it's creating a lot of problems for consumers, for people that are trying to do holiday shopping, and a lot of people are thinking this is a ruse. It ain't a ruse. It, this is actually happening. Uh, this is from Kelloland.com. I think this is a website from South Dakota. or I think that it's a news website from South Dakota where they say, Supply chain issues bring challenges to South Dakota businesses. This is from Rapid City, South Dakota. Businesses across the nation, including here in South Dakota, are having issues with the supply chain. It's costing some bu- businesses millions of dollars. This is a busy time of the year for Strucker Bikes as people across the country are looking to buy bikes for the holidays. At Strider, we move a lot of cargo on Ocean Freight, and we bring a lot of cargo to the United States, and we ship containers to countries all around the world. And when cargo is moving, it makes a big impact on our businesses. Ryan McFarland, a founder of Strider Bike, said, uh, it will go on, the article would go on to say it has the potential to cost a lot of small and medium sized businesses, millions of dollars, and we have an economy that is grow- that is growing. I think America's economic future looks pretty good, provided that we can stem the tide of inflation and provided that we can give these companies the flexibility they need to continue to grow. Representative Dusty Johnson said. All right, this is my opinion on all of this. The supply chain crisis is a big issue and it should be addressed. And I think a lot of individuals, especially those on the left, don't realize this. And they don't recognize this. I think a lot of people on the left say, oh, it's just milk. It's just eggs. It's just, well, what do you need milk for? There are milk alternatives. You know, what what do you need eggs for? There are egg whites. That's not the issue whatsoever. It's things that are of need that could not be there. And this could happen. This could create a slippery slope where other products could not be there that are useful for us. You know, if certain things like bikes are not being there, well, what about people that, you know, need to that need gas or or water? I know it's not going to get that bad, but if we're getting our supplies being imported from other countries, then it could have real world implications for things that are fundamental and, and basic for our essential needs. You know, what about toilet paper? Does toilet paper, is toilet paper being made in the U.S.? If not, then that's something that essentially a lot of people, a lot of Americans need at this moment in time, especially if there is a possibility of restrictions being happening or COVID restrictions happening in the up and coming months, if that happens. Again, hopefully not, but if that happens and if people need to buy toilet paper and if there is no toilet paper, then what will that say about our economy and what will that say about our supply chains? You know, I mean, there's so many things that could happen in the next few months that, could have real world implications and could have real world consequences for average working class families. And if anything, this just proves to you to us that we need to value production at home and we need to uh, shift away from a consumer based economy to a producer based economy. And we need to value the importance of protectionism and being able to create products within America. If anything, we should value this. We should sort of view the supply chain crisis and say, okay. well, instead of getting our products from China or from other countries, why not make products at home so we don't have to deal with this stuff? I mean, that's what we learned from COVID. I mean, when if it's up to you as to whether or not you believe in this, but when the COVID came, when COVID came out of the lab, when there was a lab leak, and COVID was prevalent, you know, especially in March of twenty twenty, and we needed to get supplies. Well, what does that say about our, our economy when we need to get supplies from China? The same country that essentially put COVID out in the first place you know like what does that say about our country when we need to value the supplies of other countries or value or get supplies imported from countries that probably perpetrated the virus and perpetrated things that you know happen and and are detrimental to that of people at home so i think we need value protectionism we need to value a sort of system that was very prevalent In the earlier half of America, I mean, what allowed America to be one of the best countries in the world was the fact that we valued supplies being made within our own home. We valued a very sort of Alexander Hamilton sort of way of of mercantilism that permeated within the 19th and 20th century, the earlier half of the 20th century, I would say. So I think that's something that needs to be addressed. You know the supply chain crisis is a big issue it's going to occur in the next few months things will be delayed things will be inflated and there will be times where things aren't shipped and it's going to be a big issue for a lot of families and i think people that are taking this uh people that aren't taking this seriously i i think you need to sort of view view yourself in the mirror and, and take a good hard look at it because it's going to affect you one way or another if it's not say eggs or if it's not milk it's going to be something that's even more fundamental to our everyday existence you know it could be water you know who knows and, and uh, i'm just saying this could be the worst case scenario so the supply chain crisis is a big issue and it needs to be addressed and obviously the government will not do anything about it because they're in favor of shipping out things and shipping out our jobs overseas and and allowing production to be done at a very sort of consumer friendly rate to the point where Uh, At the end of the day, they just value getting things imported from other countries under the guise of slave labor. So at the end of the day, we need to value American workers, and we need to value the importance of getting things done within this own country so that we don't have to deal with the supply chain issues. I think a lot of these problems will go away if we value the importance of creating things at home and creating things of value at home so that we don't need to resort to other countries to get things done for ourselves. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's my opinion on all of that. Uh, The supply chain crisis is a big issue, and it needs to be addressed sooner than later because it's going to have real-world implications for everybody, and it's going to affect everybody in the upcoming months. And, again, it begs repeating. We need to stop being a consumer-based economy. We're not consumers. We are producers. We need to value the importance of effort and work ethic and the importance of creating things at home and valuing things that that. Can help out our brothers and sisters because at the end of the day, this is our family. America is our family. We need to treat it as such. We need to treat America as our home and treat our and treat each other as our neighbors and our brothers and our sisters, and and create things of substance for them so that they too can be able to march on and prevail on and do well in today's world in today's shattered economy where where it's so easily volatile where you can lose your job and and where there's no sort of job security anymore so that's just my overall opinion on the supply chain thing and hopefully it gets better because if not uh it's 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 going to be a very sad winter for a lot of people all right uh let's get into my weekly picks so each each and every week i recommend a book a film a piece of art that i really enjoy that i think you guys will enjoy as well This week, I'll be recommending Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Hopefully I said the last name right because I have so much respect for this director. Uh, If you guys don't know, Denis Villeneuve directed Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, Enemy, Prisoners, so many great films. Go check them out if you haven't already. But Dune is about a per—it's a film based on Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet, as he helps out the House of Atreides try and conquer Arrakis, a planet formerly known as Dune. As the rival House Horkanen, led by the Sudoku uh stages of a coup and hijinks ensues. That's essentially the plot of the movie. If you guys don't know it, uh, yeah, I know it's a lot to take in because it's very sci-fi-y. It's, it's actually sci-fi. So it's very hard to like get in the names and whatnot. But just understand that it's basically a house trying to get planet and trying to get the resources of that planet for vitality and for uh, space travel and what happens is that a rival house stages a coup, led by their own army, and Paul Atreides needs to figure it out as to what goes from there. And I really enjoyed this movie. It wasn't your standard The Good Guys Win trope that, you know, was prevalent with MCU films and with Star Wars films, besides Rogue One, which I thought this movie had a lot of similarities to that Rogue One. But I, I really enjoyed this movie. And my favorite scene in the entire movie And this may be spoiler, so spoiler alert, alert, I'm assuming everybody has watched the movie right now, so three, two, one. My favorite scene in the entire movie has to be the Goman Jabbar scene. It really honed in the idea that Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet, was one of the most powerful people in the entire world in that respective universe, and just how defiant he is of establishment authority and of the status quo. And that scene really showed a lot and really detailed a lot. And I saw Denis Villeneuve break it down at the, on Vanity Fair. He broke down the scene. And I thought you guys should probably check out the video if you want to understand how important that scene is. And obviously, you know, people will not like this film for reasons unknown. Uh, you know, I understand actually why they don't don't like the film. You know, some people may say character development. Uh, I don't agree with it. I thought the characters were amazing. I thought Jason Momoa played his ass off in the film. In fact, he was like one of my favorite characters in the film. And I knew that a lot of people would die in the film as soon as Oscar Isaac's character died. As soon as Paul's father died, I'm like, okay, everybody can get Gordon's film. Whether it's the ecologist, whether it's Dr. Yu, whether it's Jason Momoa's character, everybody can get this film. And all those characters died all of them. So it made me realize that this sets the stakes. When I saw the father of the main character die, I'm like, okay, everybody can get god. And I'll be honest with you, the only problem of the film that I had the only problem was the final battle with Jamis The last duel no pun intended with Jamis lacked a, lacked finality. There was a lack of finality in that film in that part because it felt like they sort of rushed it, and if they added it at the beginning of the second movie, I'm like, okay, that sort of makes sense. I understand why they did it, but the, la- the the last battle, the final battle with Jamis, I didn't feel like it needed to be there. It didn't really need to be there. If they ended the film with Paul and Jessica reaching the Furman and Paul seeing Zendaya, and they just cut the credits, perfect movie, great movie, amazing movie, one of the best of all time, and I still believe it's a good movie regardless, but... I I didn't think the final battle with Jamas needed to be there. If anything, they should have ended it with the Furman. Paul and Jessica's going to the Furman and seeing Zendaya. And I think that's where the movie should have ended. Cut to black, roll the credits, and it would have been amazing. But I felt like it just meandered for too long. And that's the thing with with Dune. I know there was a, a sense of coldness and, uh, and depravity in the air. But again, it's Dune. Like Denis Villeneuve, one of the best things about Denis Villeneuve is being able to tell a story without any dialogue. And when you see the still images, the still shots, the cinematography, which I loved, by the way. I mean, I thought the cinematography was beautiful. And by the way, the same cinematographer that was for Rogue One is behind Dune. So go check this movie out, by the way. Like, it's amazing. That's This is my weekly pick, and I really, really enjoyed it. Go check it out if you haven't. Denis Villeneuve's Dune. What the Dark Knight franchise was for Christopher Nolan, Dune will be for Denis Villeneuve. So go check it out. I highly suggest you do. You won't be mistaken if you you do. So go check it out. I really, really suggest this film. It's one of my favorite films of the year, honestly. I really, really enjoy this film. There are some problems with it. Don't get me wrong. But the pros outweigh the cons. That's how much I love this film. So go check it out. Uh, By the way, that's all the time I have, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Also, if you're listening to it uh, on iTunes, make sure you rate, review, subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel, so you're always in the know. And if you're on WhatsApp, make sure you spread the word on WhatsApp as well. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be at the Model Cafe, 7 p.m. at Alston, Wednesday, this Wednesday, October 27th. So go check it out. Go check me out for comedy. So anyways, guys, thanks so much for for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. All right, guys. Peace. See y'all.